Well, turn to each other and say congratulations. You set your clock. We will begin next service. Welcome to those of you who think you're in the first service. But uh, today there are very, uh, two very significant events in uh, my life at least. One of them is my wife comes home from India today. Yeah. <laughs> and the second, Ron Brookman has been... Um, Going through the archives, and did you know that 45 years ago on uh, Friday, this church began? 1967. And uh, so uh, let's just thank God together. Father, thank you for those 13 people who met in home Bible studies with a vision to make a difference in this community. And Father, we pray what was begun would continue in the power of the Holy Spirit and go beyond what we can think, imagine, or ask. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, um, I have to hear from a couple of different people, but I've asked Bill Berry if he would join me just for a minute. Bill, why don't you come on up, brother? And um, many of you have heard about Men's Summit. You're going to keep hearing about it because God is doing some wonderful things. Uh, so many of you know Bill is on our board. And uh, actually, Bill and I met when he was 18, because he was in my youth group when I was a youth pastor. So we have to take that by faith, but that happened. <laughs> but Bill, uh, you know, we were sharing in, in men's uh, sometime, some and you were talking about um, you and your neighbors. And why don't you just share a little event that took place as uh, you guys are reaching out. Well, there have been a couple things with uh, Men's Summit. You know, we went through the first trimester, and we were talking about um, our life purpose and, and our values and really getting straight about what's, uh, what's most important in life. And more recently, we've been going through a, um, a book on discipleship and how to help people move forward in their, in their spiritual journey from where they are. So in the life purpose thing, it was kind of interesting because... Um, I just kind of took hold of it and I said, this, this is so important. I'd love to be able to just lead more people in this and discovering what's, what's important in their life and their purpose. And so I actually started at work. Um, as my clients would come in, we would have discussions about values. And I do that now with, with every client that comes in. And I kind of took it in faith because I thought, you know, people are going to walk in. Why is my financial advisor asking me about my, my personal values, my purpose in life? Uh, but we've had amazing discussions uh, with clients, getting them thinking about spiritual things and thinking about why they're here and thinking about their values and, and what's really important to them. And, and so we've had some wonderful conversations with many, many clients, and it's, it's been really a rich time. Um, and then the one that we're doing now on discipleship, the thing that I've really taken from this whole course is um, kind of trying to understand where people are on their spiritual journey, um, you know, from just completely being away from God, not knowing God at all, having no relationship with Him, all the way to being fairly mature. But everybody on that continuum, uh, you know, we're all moving forward. And so I've really come to recognize my role in helping move people forward in, in where they are. And I have a real passion for those who, who really don't have any relationship with God. And so some of my neighbors, uh, we started inviting some folks just to go hiking on Saturday mornings, and we've kind of created a, a crew of people that, that do that on a regular basis. It's a great place to be able to talk to folks. So one of my neighbors, um, actually a couple that Jan and I have been hiking with 
from a, a Catholic background, and, and she had a relationship with God, but hadn't really moved forward in that, and he really didn't have any relationship with God at all. And through the process, she has uh, joined Janet's women's Bible study, and she's just, she's growing leaps and bounds, and I mean, it's just unbelievable to see this change in her life, I mean, really big change. And he is, is moving forward a, a little bit slower, but I've talked to him about, you know, just asking where he is in his spiritual journey and having that discussion and, and talking about wanting to share more with uh, how he can bring a relationship with God into a little bit clearer focus. And, and so we're planning on having that discussion in the next couple of weeks. We went out with them yesterday and uh, another couple who was uh, uh, Jewish background, but completely secular Jewish. And I got finally a chance, because this is a guy that just wants to talk about football and sports and and nothing else and finally broke through just yesterday and had a chance to ask him about what it was like growing up in his home was it a religious environment or you know and, and we kind of got into this deep spiritual conversation about the difference between you know Judaism and Christianity and the Old Testament and the New Testament and it just kind of opened a door that has never been there before and and went a little bit deeper in the relationship so this men's summit has been the guys you know uh, Mark and Larry and, and some of the guys in my group just kind of all challenging each other to uh, to move forward and have a heart for the world and, and really be looking out uh, towards making disciples and bringing people into a relationship with Christ. It's been, been amazing. So. Thanks, brother. And I think you also had shared that uh, when these uh, people went hiking with you, they were amazed at the rest of the group because you had some other believers there, right? Oh, yeah, we did. That was one of the nice things. We talked about teamwork um, in, our, in our Bible study, and so we got this idea that why don't we invite our small group um, on a hike and then we'll invite our neighbors to come along. And so we did. And so our neighbors got to meet everybody in our small group and they were just like, those are the nicest people we've ever met, you know? And so it's like introducing them to Christians in an environment where, you know, you're just doing stuff that people do. It's not necessarily come to church with me because some people aren't that open to that. But, you know, come on a hike with me. Come enter into, you know, my world, into my life and let me expose you to other people and uh, now we're hoping that at the end of summer, our growth group is going on a, um, a weekend away up in the mountains where we're going to stay at a cabin. We're going to do hiking up in the Sierras and such. And uh, we really want to invite them to that and, and really blow them away. So, Awesome. Thanks, brother. All right. Thank you. Let's give Bill a hand. And uh, I wanted him to share that. You're going to hear in a moment from someone else because today we're talking about partnering that matters. And uh, we are, in fact, I want to get, do a little name association. I'll give you some names, and you, you tell me the other, um, other half of the story, okay? So if I were to say, you, you give me the second half, Amos and? Okay, some of you are looking like, what was that? Okay, those of you who know, um, you're, you're good to go on that one, all right? Um, how about Laurel and? Okay, the Lone Ranger and? By the way, do you know they're making a new Lone Ranger? They are. A movie that's coming out in the fall. Guess who's playing Tonto? Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp, yeah. <laughs> How about this one? This will test some of you. Uh, Sears and? Okay. Sears and Roebuck. Sonny and? Well, if you were to answer the question on your own life, for example, um, how are your partnerships? And what kind of a partner are you? We want to dive into that this morning and talk about why it's crucial. But we're also beginning a new series today. It's called Joy for the Journey. And you really can't have joy in the journey without key partnerships. We'll be looking through the little book of Philippians in eight weeks. 
means we're taking a, 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 a half a chapter a week. And I'd like you to turn with me, if you would, to Philippians chapter 1. And just give you a background, this little church um, was the one of all, it was the start of the crown, in uh, the jewel in Paul's crown. It's interesting because when, uh, some of you remember that Paul, when he was traveling, his second missionary journey, he decided they wanted to go into Asia and said the spirit of Jesus prevented them. And so then they tried to go north to Bithynia and it says again, God prevented that. And then... Finally, it says that uh, they, they, they prayed and God gave them a vision at Troas. And at Troas, they, there was a man who, from Macedonia who said, come on over, we need you. And they concluded from that that God was telling them to go. So twice they had tried to go into Asia. The Spirit of God said, no, fake right and go left. They got to Troas and they had this vision. And when they got to Troas, uh, this, this, these, uh, this Macedonian man turned out when they got there in Acts chapter 16... The man of Macedonia was a woman. It was Lydia. And she opened up the whole West to the good news of Jesus Christ. And so what we're going to see is that in this little book that the partners that Paul is talking about are people who welcomed him and are some of the very first uh, as, as the gospel went West. And if I were to say to you, as, again, what do you know about them? Some of you know that this is the little book we call the book of joy. Fourteen times the word joy or rejoice are mentioned in this book. And um, all, of it was, all of it came out of this partnership with these people who became so important, so dear to him. <clears throat> the scriptures tell us that partnerships are important. The book of Ecclesiastes says what? Two are better than one. How can, they be, how can one be warm if he lies down alone? And then it says, because there's a return on their investment. We've talked about this before. Two people is more than twice as much. There's an exponential increase in production and capacity when you partner with someone. And God is saying to all of us, we need to partner somewhere. And if, if, if partnerships can be as small as two. Most family units have some type of partnership. The only question is, are they good or are they not so good? And they can become uh, as, as large as... Um, um, well, I have a friend, um, we call him the original number. When I was four years old, I lost the end of this finger and I became part of a, of a special fraternity called the Nub Club. And there's many guys running around the Midwest like this with nubs because I shared before they, they were corn pickers and we lived in kind of a rural area and you're supposed to use a stick to unjam the corn picker. Sometimes guys got a little impatient, put their hand in and and they lost a, a knuckle or two along the way. But the, the, the original number uh, actually had only, uh, he blew off these three fingers with a uh, dynamite cap. <clears throat> so he did his creatively. And uh, he was, uh, his name's Cliff McGrath. He was the former uh, Hall of Fame soccer coach at Seattle Pacific University. And uh, the number used to say, give me 12 men, passionate, fully committed to Jesus Christ, and we can take the world in anything. There's power in partnership. By the way, that's been done. It was done in the first century, right? With nothing, they, they turned the world upside down. And Christianity is a team sport. That's what we're looking at today. The, and so Paul, as he writes this, he's saying this team that he was on, these, this little group in Philippi, brought tremendous joy to him. And we're going to, to see in a moment why. You know... When believers are unified, we can take the world on. And that's why the enemy, Satan, works so hard to get people to complain, bicker, 
and, and work against each other instead of together because there's power in working together. And this little book's going to talk about the power of working together when God, the Holy Spirit, gets involved in bringing people together. And the result of that, of course, is joy. Now, most of you know when Paul wrote this, he was at his condo in Maui on Kanapali Beach, enjoying the sunset, sweet tea with his friends, and uh, just having a nice time of recreation, right? Where was he when he wrote it? He was in prison. Not a good experience. And yet this book, written to a poor group of people, from prison is all about joy, which is very non-Western, folks. We see it all around the world. My wife returns from India today. She's going to bring back stories of amazing things from these Indian women who now are going back to be oppressed or persecuted, and some of them killed for Jesus, the very group they just taught. But they have joy. They have tremendous joy because of their relationship with Christ. And so we're going to see that the Bible encourages partnerships. It, includes, uh, it encourages teamwork. And so the question for us this morning is, how are your partnerships? And what kind of partner are you? Are you the kind of person that you would want to be teamed up with? That's what we want to look with this morning. So turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. And uh, we're going to look at this little book and just briefly this morning, we want to ask five questions about partnerships. Philippians chapter 1. Beginning at verse 1, this letter is from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. That's very un-American, folks. I'm writing to all of God's holy people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus, including the elders and deacons, the leadership team. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you a reine and shalom, peace and grace, grace and peace. And then he says, every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. And then notice this, verse 4. For whenever I pray, I make my requests for all of you with joy. There it is. Joy in the relationships. The little book begins. We're going to see it 14 more times. And so here's the key. The first question is to ask in our relationships is this. Are people genuinely appreciated by me? Do we genuinely and greatly appreciate the people we're partnered with? And he's saying, whenever I pray, I make my request for all of you with joy. They bring memories of joy to him. Why is this so important? And why is it so important not that we feel gratitude, but that we express it? Big difference. Anybody see Fiddler on the Roof? You know, there's that one scene where uh, Tevia is saying to his wife, you know, do you love me? You know, and they finally say, after 25 years, it's nice to know. You know, because those were arranged marriages and they didn't really ever say I loved you, but... They did, and so there's something deeply important about expressing love and appreciation. And why is it so important is this, because people are God's most important asset. God's valuables, he gives value to people. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul, as he's praying, he says, I pray that God will give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation, the knowledge of Christ, that he would enlighten the eyes of your heart so that you might know the hope to which he's called you and the riches of his inheritance in the saints. You know what that's about? What's God's wealth? What's God's inheritance? Oh, he's loaded. God has wealth beyond anything we can imagine. So much so, that, you know, the streets are paved with, you know, the asphalt of heaven's gold. He says his value are people. People, why? Because his son paid for them with his own blood. Nothing is more important on this earth to God than people. And we're simply agreeing with God 
that his values and his riches are people. And particularly, this, this passage implies the overlooked, the forgotten, the neglected people of the world, like these poor little Philippians. They were dirt poor, but incredibly generous. We saw that a few weeks ago when we talked on generosity. This is the people he was talking about. This is the model. They, they barely had enough, and they were persecuted, and it says, but they begged for the privilege of giving. Just like America, right? Sorry, that was a bad joke. <clears throat> but this is who they are. And as Patricia comes back, and, and as next week we go to Africa, um, uh, quick turnaround for her, but we're going again to the third poorest economy in all of Africa, the country of Malawi. By the way, I didn't say this to other services, but um, service. Uh, there's, a, there's a fuel shortage that's over a year old. And last year when we were at the airport, the, the, the driver who's a Christian took us and says, I have enough fuel to get there. Would you pray I can get home? And then we just got a message two weeks ago, there is no fuel in Malawi. So it'll be interesting to see what happens when we go there, if you could appreciate God. Uh, God's, uh, we need a couple of hundred miles per gallon type of uh, transportation. It adds value to them from God when we express appreciation. And what's the other option if we do not express appreciation and gratitude? It's to ignore, neglect. And that leads to eventually, folks, using and abusing people. Isn't it interesting in Romans chapter 1, when Paul's talking about what happened in the world when it went south. And he said, though they knew God, they did not recognize him as God or give him thanks. When gratitude goes, so does everything else. When appreciation goes, everything else does as well. Parents, let me ask you this. Do we teach our kids at home appreciation? Do you teach them at home to say thank you for those things that are done for them. What's interesting is that the culture today without Christ, there appears to be a growing movement toward entitlement and a younger generation who has become indulged. And you know what that leads to? A demanding spirit. And there's nothing uglier on earth than a demanding spirit. You better give me, you know, this is what I want and I want it now. Do not let your kids get in that mode. Teach them to say thank you for every meal that mom fixes. In fact, moms and dads, does that begin with us? When's this, do we say, hey, honey, thanks for that dinner, man. You, you know, your, your food channel material right here. And by the way, in case no one's told you any, recently, you are also the quintessence of feminine pulchritude, and I'm just delighted to be married to you. And um, so, and, you know, and then you can flip it around. So, you know, thanks so much for the sacrifices you make for this family, going to work and all the things that you do. Did you know that many marriages begin to head south because they don't express gratitude, thanks, and appreciation? When that begins to go, everything else begins to move downward as well. Gratitude, appreciation is an extremely high form of love. When we recognize the efforts, the person themselves, and what they are doing. So how are you doing at that one? And then also the little things. Smart love says thank you for the little things as well. And interestingly enough, you know, there are some people that you can't drag a compliment out of. They don't say thanks. They just, you know, it's whatever. They expect it. Some of you work for bosses like that. Oh, they're just so much fun to work for, aren't they? You know, demanding, never say thank you. No, nobody wants to work for them. But what happens to those people? Isn't it interesting? They get it shut out as well. Because it's only in giving those kinds of things will it eventually come back to you. It's a high form of honor. 
You know, I was reading, I've, I've been soaping through, I just finished First Thessalonians in my own quiet time, and many of these will know these passages, but 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12 says, Dear brothers and sisters, honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and give you spiritual guidance. Show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work and live peacefully with each other. Just a little flip in there to say, hey, you know, sometimes those who lead, it can be a thankless job. Be sure to say thanks to whether there's someone over you or someone under you. Appreciate their efforts. You know, people who are successful know it. Uh, some of you have to take this by faith, but uh, I played football in college and had some opportunities to play professional football. Um, and I, I played quarterback. But one of the things I learned early on, you always thank your line for blocking. I, I knew guys who didn't, you know, and they ended up on their back. It's amazing how a guy could miss a block occasionally on purpose. So there's great wisdom and thanking the people who block for you. And you know what? None of us got to where we are. There's no person who has any success at any level who did not get there because somebody else, they had blockers. Both Patricia and I had personal assistance in churches for, for nearly 40 years. And I remember when that day ended, oh, we've had people, we hire part-time help and so on. But I look back at what those dear assistants did for me. And how they made life work and make smooth, you know. And the people up front, we got, you know, they got, we got the horn blast and all that kind of thing. But they're the ones who did the work to make it happen. And gratitude and appreciation um, is, goes a long way. And as I've watched in this church, you know, there are people who've, and by the way, if there's anything good in your life anywhere, it's because someone paid a price for you to get that somewhere. The fact that you live in America, somebody sacrificed their life to be here. The, 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 the industries that were built, all those things, somebody paid a price or we wouldn't have it. And the greatest price of all is what we'll celebrate today at the end of the service, what our Savior did by giving his life for us uh, on the cross. This was Paul's favorite church. It's, but it's interesting, we're going to see, you know why? These people had walked through what he had. They had been beaten, oppressed, and persecuted for their faith. They had walked through pain with him together. Now, folks, I don't know about you, but I'm aware that if I, there's any reward for me when I'm with Christ one day in heaven, I'll be sharing it all. <laughs> there's no such thing as anything I have done by myself. It's impossible. None of us will. And if there's any jewels in our crown, we'll be passing those around because that's what happened. People have shared with us. So when people are around you, what do they say about you? Are you one who expresses appreciation? Or do you do that at home? What would the family say? Well, you know, uh, yeah, dad, mom, you know, they're, they're, they're really great. They're regular, expressing appreciation. Or maybe occasional. Or do you give thanks about as often as a lunar eclipse? How about at work? How about at church? Do you express appreciation? And here's another question. Would you want to partner with you? based upon this principle. Would you want to partner with you that because you are one who expresses appreciation? Or are you more tight-lipped? If you are, ask God to change your heart and express gratitude because in doing so, you're giving God's value to the people that he's put in your life. And by the way, if you're waiting for a tight-lipped person to appreciate you and your family, unfortunately, don't wait too long. 
That's why you want to make sure you're doing everything for Jesus because he sees it all now. He will reward you if it never comes from that other person. Second question, are we pursuing the mission that matters? Now notice this verse. Paul says, for you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. See, this is the partnership they had. He doesn't say a mission. This is the mission that God has called every one of us to. This isn't just for missionaries and pastors and, and pros. This is for all of us. We are reflectors of Christ. We're his light. We're salt in the world for him. And he's saying, you partnered with me. And by the way, there's no greater partnership than partnering in the good news, however we do that. Now, a great partnership is not what I do for you or what you do for me, Kimasabe. It's what we do together for the greatest mission on earth, which has not changed in 2,000 years. We're still called to the same one. We're called to the greatest mission on earth. To make Jesus known through our lives, through how we love people, through how we serve, through how we do our business, through how we uh, treat our own families. We make him known. And what a great joy that is. And so how are we doing as a church, at home, at work, and even in our recreation? One of the things that we know that Paul demonstrates is in order to do this, it's not automatic. There is some risk of faith. Would you not agree? As Bill talked this morning about reaching out to neighbors and people, there's some risk of faith. You can be rejected, right? But isn't that what God called us to? The greatest mission on earth is worth risking our faith on? There's, no, there's nothing else. In fact, uh, some of you know the, the basketball player Jeremy Lin. Um, I saw a comment. He had read John Piper's uh, book on Don't Waste Your Life. And he says, my life is not about playing basketball. He says, that's simply what I do to help me share my faith in Jesus Christ. Pretty neat. And you know, in Men's Summit, one of the things that's been great is to watch guys and uh, uh, see some of the guys here from, from Men's Summit. And I want you to hear one more story this morning. I'm going to ask Sean if he'd come on up. Some of you remember Sean and his wife, uh, Carrie, uh, Kelly, Carrie, Carrie, moved here this summer from Wisconsin. And... Uh, We've uh, not only appreciated Sean, we've gotten to know him, it's on. Um, but unfortunately, they're moving to the other Sunshine State. They're going to, uh, to, to Florida, but Sean, I'll let you tell the story. Why don't you share what's, what's happened to you since you've been here at ABF and what God's done. And Certainly. Thank you, Rowan. Um, first of all, on behalf of Carrie Ann as well, um, we can't thank this congregation enough. Um, when we came here from Wisconsin... Um, just months ago, um, we prayed very intently to find an amazing church family, and God has so blessed us um, with all of you. Um, you've supported us through some amazing times and some difficult times as well, and uh, whether it be through the children's ministry um, you know, or um, the Men's Summit, I mean, it's just been amazing. The message here every Sunday has certainly met me um, where I'm at every day, so... Um, but then kind of transitioning over to the Men's Summit. I know you hear them talk about uh, 6 a.m. on Friday mornings um, quite a bit. Um, I can't tell you, for those of you who don't participate, how much it has changed the trajectory of my life tremendously. Uh, I just want to share a little bit about that. Um, we, every Friday morning, got together in the fall, and we talked about our own mission statement and kind of what the vision is um, for each of our lives. And if I would have taken this course 
before I t accepted a job in California that was going to require me to work from 7 in the morning until you know, 8 or 9 at night, and then after the family went to bed and all of that, I probably wouldn't have taken um, that job. Um, but what it did um, is it really helped me on focus on um, my next role, where I was actually able to sit down with the leader of this company and say, you know, I've worked from 7 in the morning until 7 at night for 16 years. And I've neglected my children in the morning, and I rarely see them at night. When I do, I see them for an hour, maybe two, maybe half an hour. I'm not going to do that anymore. And the guy smiled. I told him about this mission group I did, and the, this, this group of 20 to 30 guys I got together with every Friday morning. They got this biggest grin. And um, Chad had talked about um, earlier about his, um, you know, where, being on that, the top of the mountain. That was the top of the mountain for me every week. And, um, I can't tell you, I mean, I just, you know, for those of you who haven't participated, I've never done anything like that before. Um, give it a try. It, it really, it changed not only my life, but my, the relationship with my wife and my children uh, has been absolutely um, tremendous. And, um, you know, now, and, and Bill talked about it a little bit as well, um, you know, talking about now, how do I be more outward facing? Now I've got some of my own stuff corrected. How do I be more outward facing and really uh, focus on what God's mission for me is, and that's to help create more disciples. And I'm young in my Christian walk yet, um, but there are some tremendous mentors and just amazing Christian men who not only every week, you know, help me in my growth and, and figure out how I can bring more people to Christ, but, you know, we close um, every Friday um, within a small group of four or five guys, and we write down prayers for each other and we pray throughout the week for each other. And I can't tell you what a blessing that was. You know, I was out of work for four months. I wasn't employed long when I was here, so um, I was out of work for four months. And um, I had so much solace and peace because I knew people were praying over us and um, looking after us every week. And um, that's it. Thank you all. I appreciate the blessings. Sean, we're going to pray for you, brother. And uh, in fact, John... Would you uh, come here and let's pray for Sean and Carrie as, as they go? And uh, you lead us. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for um, directing our lives. Mm -hmm. Thank you for your plans for our lives, Lord. And I know that uh, sometimes we, we don't even know why you're taking us through the things you're taking us through. And uh, Lord, I, um, hmm. I thank you for Sean yes. and his family. And, um, and the fact that he realized that you were taking him on a journey, Lord. And mm -hmm. uh, he wasn't just focused on where he was going. He, um, he is just uh, soaking in this journey that he's on, Lord. And, and, and your blessings are everywhere in his life. And, mm -hmm. uh, and I pray that for all the families, all the marriages, mm -hmm. all, the, all the people in this church, Lord, that we all have a, a taste of your blessings and we, and we all see where we are in the journey Lord we're all in different places but you're meeting us where we are Lord and uh, I pray that Sean and his family take the the encouragement and the blessing and the vision that you've given them yes. and you take have them take that to Florida Lord and I pray that it grows and uh, and Sean's able to insert himself and invest his life into other men and other families lives Lord and uh, we're just so grateful for um, you and, um, and, and the, the commitment that um, the men that are meeting on Friday mornings make to be with you, Lord. We find God in that room in our little small groups, Lord. And, uh, and we so dearly need it. And 
just ask uh, for your blessings over their family as they prepare to, to move to the other side of the country and, uh, and settle on the other side of the country, Lord. Pray all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, yeah. brother. Appreciate you, buddy. Yeah, appreciate it. Love you guys. Praying for you. There's power in relationship. There's power in understanding that we have been given a mission that's greater than our own. You know, many of the guys would say they're being stretched this semester in their faith because you need a little courage now and then to take a stand for Christ, don't we? You know, why is there a battle in this world? Here's the biggest reason, because there is a battle for lives. We may not see it. We get up, we go about our own business. But there is a battle going on for the hearts and the minds of men and women, not just here, but globally. And the, the scripture is very clear. You see, folks, we're all terminal. And we all have a terminal disease. It's not only going to take us down physically, but unless God interrupts it through the person of Christ, people are going to be millions and millions separated from him. And the world explains it away. Do you know why? Because we have a deceiver who says that he has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they may not see the glory of Christ and believe. If I were to ask you about secondary education, the celebrity world, the political world, and if I were to say to you, is there any question of all that we're accountable to a God? That there's, what about this thing that we call sin? You know, that dirty word. Does it even exist? You'd have to say it's pretty absent. Why is that? People aren't even thinking about that issue. And uh, by the way, uh, Pastor Igor is here from uh, Czech Republic and uh, with uh, Jim Liljegren. We were talking yesterday that, that in, uh, in the Czech Republic, there's so many who are atheists from, the, from all those years of communism. But you know, God has planted something deep in the hearts of people that know they need God. It's just that the enemy has blinded them from this whole process. <clears throat> and... That's why we are here. We have a mission to bring the good news, the best news anybody will ever hear in their life is that you matter to God so much that he visited this earth for you. You'll never hear better news than that. And God has come. Um, a couple of weeks ago, right after my wife left for India, I was taking a walk out on the hill behind us and got a pretty um, amazing view of the ocean. And... and um, uh, a new neighbor came out and saw me. We talked to him before, and he came out, and uh, a really interesting guy. Let's call him Arturo. That's not his name. But um, I know he, he does things similar to we do as far as training leaders, and he, he, he is, uh, I believe, a, a Native American himself, and he works with minority groups in this country to try to help them in many ways. But So we were kind of talking on the hill, and they'd come down to see our house, and they wanted to do some, some remodeling, and, and uh, so they looked at our place. And, and uh, so as we talked, um, and he asked about my wife, and one thing led to another, and I told him about India, and he was not all that familiar. And uh, the next thing you know, it came up, you know, well, India has 300 million gods, and the women she's working with, uh, many of them have already been persecuted and oppressed to come to the conference. They'd go home. Some of them would probably lose their lives. And he talked about, well, why is that? And they said, well, you know, in India, um, you, there, there is no God who loves you. There's no book that says God loves you. And there is no such thing as forgiveness in one place. You have to go to all, you have to offer chickens and all these sacrifices. And you have to wash in this river and you have to go to that one. You can only get partial forgiveness if that. And it said when they find out that there's somebody who came to give them eternal life, 
They, they said the chains are broken from their slavery. 1.23 billion people in India. And over half of them have never heard of Jesus. The largest unreached people group on earth. 500 million people. And so I could see something was beginning to bother him. And, and, and as it came out, he's, he's probably a pantheist. Uh, his Native American background, uh, when we started talking about their, this, the spirits there that, that, that capture people, that imprison them, that whole spiritual world, he said, he said, this is hard for me. I don't know how to deal with this. And I didn't even realize it, so I shifted gears and simply told him because he was saying, you know, that, what do you mean forgiveness? We don't need that, just that man's been oppressed because no one's told him he's good enough. And I didn't want to argue with that. It was not my point, and I really like this guy, so I just told him that my story of knowing I needed forgiveness. And I'm so grateful that God came from heaven. If there is a God, how could we know him? There are only two ways, reason or, or a revelation. There's not enough reason to figure him out. And if he did, and he died on a cross, what that meant to me, and that, that I had guilt that nobody had to tell me. And I told him this, you know the reason we feel guilty? Because we are. <laughs> and that's what Jesus came. And I told him that only forgiven people will go to heaven if there is a heaven. And so he came to offer himself for Hindus, Muslims, uh, Buddhists, no matter what our background is. He's the only one, the only one who said, I'm God and I die for you. And he, he admitted it was making him nervous. And so I just kind of narrowed it down and shut it down at that point. But the point was, here's a man who is seeking to do good things. And I believe his motives are right. And so if you pray for him, that the, the, the idea that the world is blind including this country, to what Christ has done. Don't assume, because people think, oh, I didn't do anything that bad. I mean, everybody goes to heaven, don't they? Unless you're an Axaw murderer, you know. You're, 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 you're going to probably get there. And, and it's a deception. And folks, let me say one more thing. The reason we need to take advantage of now, I'm not a prophet, but we are going to see changes, in my opinion, in the next five to ten years in this country that you will not believe. And we better take advantage of it while we have it because there are coming greater challenges than you and I have faced. Third question, and, and that, well, before we get there, is do we encourage each other in our mission? Do every day say, hey, how does God want to use us today? Third question is this, is our partnership empowered with God confidence? Notice verse 6. Verse 6 says this, And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue His work until it's finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. And what I, what I mean by that God confidence is, folks, <laughs> in order to fulfill our mission, you and I need supernatural assistance. We're not going to pull this one off on our own. Uh, by the way, Denny Blessy was here last week. This is his life verse. I've known Denny since we were just in school with Noah. And uh, so this is his verse. But how powerful it says that, that God began the good work. He's going to continue it. And here's what it also says. All great partnerships have a supernatural transcendent dimension to it. That is, they have the infusion of divine power. And now he's talking about a second partnership. Paul's been talking about partnering with the Philippians. But now he's saying, you and I both have a partnership with God. And that's the most powerful one. That's the one who's going to get us there. Because we all have limitations. Nobody's going to make it through this life successfully or doing a great job at family, at work, at life, apart from the power of God. It can't be done. Never has, never will be. You know, and as I get older, you know, I face times of truth at least twice a day. So do many of you. You know, one, when you get up in the morning, you go and you look in the mirror. That's a moment of truth. 
And then when you go to bed at night, you got to brush your teeth, you look at it again and say, oh my goodness, you know, what is that young man doing in that older body? You know, and you know, as you, you know, you get the hair grays or falls out, whatever it is. And by the way, aging has a way of reminding me of my limits. I don't know about you, some of you are younger, but you know, uh, yesterday I had a, right in my calendar, I had an appointment with uh, Jim Liljegren and Pastor Igor, and I get a call saying, hey, Roland, where are you? I'd forgotten it. And uh, also this week, you know, I've been texting my wife and emailing her and dozens and dozens of them. And I, I, I texted her uh, two times messages to the wrong people. So someone got my wife's texts twice. Anyhow, and then I was thinking yesterday, I was trying to clean up the house to get ready for her to come home today. I said, I got to feed the dog. Then I, wait a minute, we don't have a dog. <laughs> so if you're not sure of your limits, folks... Just get older. And also simply it says, in this life, in the spiritual battle, we need supernatural assistance. So how is your confidence level in God's ability to grow you the way he wants to? God's going to do his job. And how do you and I know that we will make it to the end being faithful to Jesus? That one should concern us. Here's why. As we go around the world, we watch these dear brothers and sisters lay down their lives. I wonder, am I that strong or am I too soft? How do we know that we'll make it and be faithful? And maybe we've even said, you know, God, I'm not the man or the woman I want to be. And yet God will supply the fertilizer, the water to get us there. You know why God will do that? For his own honor. So we can share in the honor of Christ. And when our faith is tested, we will find out who we are. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 is a, is a favorite passage of mine. And Paul says this, it is God who enables us along with you to stand firm for Christ. He has commissioned us and he has identified us as his own by placing the Holy Spirit in our hearts as the first installment that guarantees everything he has promised. You and I are not going to make it to the end because we're so strong, but because God enables us to stand. And then again in 1 Thessalonians, Paul says the same thing again. He says, now uh, may the God of peace make you holy and um, in every way, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, comes again, God will make this happen. For he who calls you is faithful. It's going to take God's strength for us to be faithful to the end. And by the way, thank you so much for those of you as our family, as uh, going through one of our children is going through an enormous painful time. Thank you for praying. Uh, this thing looks indefinite, but... So many of you shared, you prayed for us. We would not be able to, to make it without that. Now, folks, one thing I know about how God works. God will work, but we can't predict how. And normally what he did before, he doesn't do it the same way again the next time. That's why it's difficult sometimes to say, God, you know, I'm waiting and we're, we're waiting for God to, to work in just the same way that he did. And he's saying, no, I'm probably going to do something new. We don't know how, but we know he will. The fourth question is this, are our relationships deepening? Notice verse 7 and 8, So it is right that I should feel as I do about all of you. For you have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favor of God, that's the word for grace, both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. God knows how much I love you and long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. What hits you in those two verses? He says, you share a special favor of God, the grace. And you notice what he says, both in my imprisonment and defending the gospel. 
You see, what builds relationships? Paul is in prison and they've shared the same persecution that he has. When we go through trials and difficulty together, did you know that conflict handled well is a key to intimacy? That's why some marriages don't, because they're not willing to work through. If you're not willing to work through conflict, you'll never have intimacy in marriage. The, the off-limit subjects will destroy you. You have to be able to enter into them and work through those if you're going to have true intimacy. And there's a lot of distance in marriages because of that. And so whenever there's a partnership, whenever there's a team, what is it that brings them together? For those of you who played sports, sometimes it was the adversity of the game that brought you together. For those who've been soldiers, men and women at war, that brings you together. You know, it's even mothers who raise their babies during the same era. They know what that's about. Men can't understand it. But there's a bond. Teams who go on short-term missions here or, or wherever it is, there's a bond because some of that can draw you together. And Paul's in prison, and he has deep longings. You can tell he's lonely at this point for them. And he says, look, everything's shut out for me right now, but I remember you, and I remember what you did for me. And you were the one church, we'll see later, who actually supported him financially. Not that he asked for it, but they did it. And he's, they're the ones who covered his back, that they go, they jump in the foxhole with him. And this is what Paul is saying. You see, God made us for relationships, friends. You and I cannot live solo. Nobody lives well solo. And God made us for relationships. And God also knew love would have to hurt. You see, Paul and the Philippians had been persecuted together. And when we love someone, we're willing to enter into their pain, to bear their burdens, and to help them advance toward God's best, or we can't say that we love them. If we're only fair-weather friends and family and people who love when things are okay, that's really not love. Anybody can do that. But here he's talking about friends who've been willing to sacrifice for him and he for them. And they have a love that supports. And interestingly enough, they supported him financially and they were the poorest of all the churches to do it. Amazing. And one of the things we've talked about with the summit is the, to watch these men begin to minister to each other and encourage each other to reach their friends and buddies. It's been a powerful, powerful uh, uh, time for me as well. This uh, past uh, edition of World Magazine says Nigeria's Nightmare. It talks about Christians facing Nigeria is the largest uh, population in Africa, 37 million. There are millions of believers there. And after the last election, when a Christian was, was elected, the Muslims went on a rampage, used as an opportunity to, to destroy thousands of churches and hold, kill hundreds of people simply because they lost the election. And I don't have time to read you, but the whole, the whole point is, do we have a responsibility? I brought this up a couple weeks ago about our, our, uh, our Iranian brothers and those of them now who are being persecuted in Syria that they're using the ouster of Assad like they did Mubarak to say, okay, now the bad guys, the bad guys are taking over, folks. They were bad before, they just got worse in all these countries. And our brothers and sisters are undergoing unparalleled persecution. There have been more martyrs for Christ in the last 50 years of the world than all the 2,000 years combined. The world is getting more difficult. India is getting more difficult. We see it everywhere we go. What is our responsibility? We must begin to pray and ask God to place them on our hearts. I believe some of those difficulties could potentially hit here. In fact, let's pray right now for our Nigerian brothers. Father, these dear people who love you, 
and who now have been had in Christian villages had Sharia law imposed upon them against their will, who've watched relatives macheted to death, who've seen their wives taken, their children burned, and hardly makes the press even notice here. We pray for them. And Father, we pray not only that you would protect them, but more than that, give them the faith and the courage and the strength of Jesus and touch us to not just go through another week of our normal routine, but to pray for these dear people as they would certainly pray for us if it was reversed. Pray in Christ's name, amen. The final question is this one. Is the partnership we're in covered in prayer? Notice this, Paul writes... I pray that your love will overflow more and more, that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you, here it is, I want you to understand what really matters, so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Christ, for this will bring much glory and praise to God. Let me ask you this. How often do you enter into the supernatural in your partnerships, in your family, in your friendships? You say, well, what do you mean? When you pray, you are inviting God's supernatural power to form your relationships. No relationship is going to grow and continually grow as he prays here without that. Because again, we need God's assistance. But those who do discover a new dimension of what love's all about. Do you want to see supernatural results in your relationships? God says, here's an avenue, prayer. You know, when I look at what Paul prays for, this is very different than what I'd pray. I'd say, oh God, make my family happy, you know, keep everybody safe. But here he's praying for real needs. Here and in Colossians and in Ephesians, the prayers of Paul are for the real needs of people, what we really need, not what we think we need. And he says, we need to grow in our understanding of what God's love's all about. And there's no bond like prayer. And this prayer is that we will become like Jesus. We'll learn to love like Him. We'll live pure without compromise like Him. That we'll have a faith that serves like He does. And that the fruit of our salvation, says here, is that we become like Him in character. Supernatural results. So if I were to ask you, what do you pray for your family? What do you pray for your relationships? This is a key because this is what God says He will answer. And what will it do? It says it will bring glory to God. That's another way of saying our lives then advertise God. That's the privilege that we have. And because partnerships are designed to build eternity in the hearts of people, love has a long way to grow. And love has the ability then to produce the very thing that we've been looking for when we partner together with Him. So as we've come together to pray, let me ask you, how are your partnerships? What kind of partner are you? What do you want God to do? Let's bow together for prayer. I want you to just take a moment in the silence of just close your eyes and, and, and don't worry about what's going on around you for a moment. God's only requirement is that you open your life to His Son, Jesus Christ. Say, God, what kind of a partner am I with you? Am I on my own, ignoring you, or inviting you into my daily life? And what kind of partnerships do I provide for others? Would I want to partner with me?
If I can't say that, say, oh God, change me to make me like Jesus. Thank you.